Welcome to the Pet Loss Companion. I'm Ken Dolan Delvecchio, and I'm here with my friend, colleague, and co-author, Nancy Saxton-Lopez. This is a program that we do live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, and then it's available on YouTube and on Anchor and, and a whole bunch of other podcast outlets. And this is an opportunity for us to bring to viewers and listeners some of the learning, some of the wisdom that we accumulated over many years of facilitating pet loss groups for people who had either recently lost a pet or they were facing an anniversary or for some reason they would benefit from support as many people do when they're grieving. And we took all that we learned and we put it into a book called The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups, and now we're trying to spread our reach even further. And I'm very happy to announce today that we have a relationship, we formalized a relationship with Dakin Humane Society. So I'm gonna read a little description of Dakin. And I'll start by saying this program is a friend of Dakin Humane Society in Springfield, Massachusetts. Dakin is a 501c3 community-supported animal welfare organization that provides shelter, medical care, spay-neuter services, and behavioral rehabilitation for more than 20,000 animals and people each year, very focused on the human-animal bond. Since its inception in 1969, Dakin has become one of the most recognized nonprofit organizations in central Massachusetts and a national leader in animal welfare. You can learn more about Dakin and make a donation at dakinhumane.org. And that is D-A-K-I-N, humane, H-U-M-A-N-E.org. We will have information on, and also a link to their site on the description of our programs. And I have to say also, they're just great people. I've adopted a number of animals from them. They're just a wonderful group of people and a wonderful organization. So we're thrilled about the connection. And Nancy, why don't you get us started? We're gonna start. So tonight, what we decided that we would do is talk a little bit about um, gender and grieving. Um, I want to start with the fact that in general, um, we have different brains than men. Women have different brains than men. Don't and, say it ain't so. <laughs> yeah, it, it is so. And, you know, men can simply, you know, and not to get into too much detail, men can compartmentalize. So they're able to focus on something and not let anything else intrude um, and then go to something else and not let anything intrude. And they're very logical and uh, linear, and they they look at things a little bit differently than, than women do. Can I uh, just jump in and ask, yeah. is that all men all the time, or is it no, it's not, not so clear? No. I mean, look, this is a generalization, and mm -hmm. uh, obviously some men do multitask. Um, usually that's harder for men, but that doesn't mean they can't. So this is kind of a general thing, but there are some differences. Mm -hmm. um, for women, because we have children, we have this peripheral thing going, and we all are also, um, we feed on emotion. 
So we're driven more from emotional you know, um, experiences with what we're, is going on for us. And we, have, we think all the time about different things. We can't compartmentalize very well. So I know that women have said, I get into bed and my mind is racing and thinking about everything I have to do or what happened in this, in this case or what my daughter was doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, that feeds into how we grieve and how we, we grieve a little bit differently. Um, so, uh, you know, women like to talk. They like to share. They like to connect. And so it's important for them to, to, to connect to people, to their supports, to families, to friends, and really talk through what's going on with them how they're feeling, because they need to really kind of um, kind of understand what's going on. And sometimes it means that they have to talk about something quite a bit. All right. So so they really seek to have those connections and seek, you know, the whole stories about women get together to to complain about their kids or their husbands or some, something like that. And husbands don't men don't necessarily do that. And though they may, I'm not sure. So maybe Ken, you can you can talk to that. But um, but they they really are are much more able to express their feelings most of the time. Some women can't, but most of the time that's kind of how it goes. Um, and so you know, I think that that's a, a pretty large difference as opposed to can I think that you're going to talk about with men. So as you're talking, one of the things that occurs to me is that I think I see it a little bit differently in some some significant ways and that i see it perhaps more as an issue of the differences more as an issue of nurture environmental factors that that teach us to be certain ways and not other ways than than sort of biophysiological. So for example i think that little boys are taught really early on that that we should not we should not be very free with our feelings, that we should tough it out. Mm -hmm. And that as we grow up, we tend to lose more and more facility with the language of feelings. So typically, and this again, is not just very broad, broad stroke. It may not be applied, it may not apply to every male by any stretch. And we also have to think that that there are more than two genders, that there's exactly. a whole spectrum of gender. And so where a person falls on that spectrum or whether they fall in different multiple places can be very individualized. But generally, we men have traditionally been taught that we should kind of stuff our feelings and that it's okay when you're asked how you're doing to say I'm okay or to say I'm really happy or to say I'm pissed. And those, that's, just like, that's, that's like right. The whole, I can be angry. That's like the range. Right. <laughs> and, exactly. and if you ask, if you ask a man, do you feel disappointed? Do you feel embarrassed? Do you feel, uh, do you feel sad? Do you feel hurt? That's a little harder for most men to mm -hmm. grasp because we're just not practiced at it. And in fact, we're taught that we should be again very. This is kind of the traditional masculinity. We're taught that we should be nothing like a girl. Like, you know the whole thing, like you throw like a girl or you run like a girl. Like that's one of the worst things 
that a boy could hear. And so we shaped our identity. We did, and that's it's changing, but we shaped our identity in my generation around trying to be very different from girls. And we were different. We were taught to be different in that emotional realm. We weren't supposed to do the things that girls do. Like you don't play with dolls and, you know, mm -hmm. you don't, uh, a whole bunch of things. You, you, you're, you be aggressive, not like, not diplomatic and collaborative. You know, there's a whole bunch of different things that we have been taught as sort of the code. And it leaves men often not very skilled at talking about sadness, not very skilled at being open, not very skilled at sharing our tears, not very willing to, to express the depth of pain that's part of the human experience of loss. And, and so, and women on the other hand, generally kind of have to pick up the slack of the emotional work that's done in their relationship system. And so women have generally, girls and women have generally been taught to be more empathic, to right. pay attention to others and to be very compassionate and sort of intuitive about how other people are feeling and how you're feeling and being able to speak the language of feelings, which I believe is the absolute currency of relationships. Right. And exactly. some, something that men, we need to, we need to really generally a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us have some work to do in, in getting more skilled in that regard. And so I think that, that what we've seen in the groups that we've done, and actually we're seeing it in the patterns of viewership and listenership in this program, is that there are far more women who are tuning in, right. who are participating than when it's about 80% to 20%, give or take. There's some people who don't identify themselves by male or female. So there are some people who are, who are probably non-binary and not, and not going to identify as male or female in the, in the ways that they represent themselves online. But uh, so we saw it in the group too, right? I mean, the yeah, vast number right. of people who Mostly came were women. Or when the men came, and there were sometimes couples, You'd sit down and and when everyone would introduce themselves, then the man would say, I'm here with her. I'm here, I'm here to her. support her. I'm here yeah, to support her. Like like we don't we don't feel the pain. I mean, I'm I'm smiling because we've seen this so much. And it's such and, and the thing that's really important, and you know, I've done a fair amount of writing on on gender and couple relationships. My book, Making Love Playing Power, is all about that. And the the point that I always want to make is this is not putting men down. This is instead talking about the limitations of traditional masculinity. Exactly. Which is different than men. Men are men can be fully engaged, fully emotional, totally Absolutely. connected human beings. But in general, in order to do that, we've got to look at traditional masculinity critically and pull away from it in some really fundamental ways. And, and that is that if we don't do that, we're, we're often not terribly well equipped to deal with the emotional challenges that are part of life, grief being one of them. Well, doesn't that always affect men potentially or women that can't express with 
developing other issues, you know, sure. psychosomatic illness, substance yep. abuse or dependence. Yep. You know, if you're not able to have the expression of those feelings, that it comes out somehow. It, it, yeah, there's no, there's no getting around that. Like you said, we'll, we'll have signature stress symptoms like back problems or, or headaches or, or we'll go to negative coping strategies like using substances unwisely or eating too much or, or doing things that are, that are not constructive in, in one way or another, isolating, stuffing, getting angry instead of feeling. A lot of times anger is just the surface. What's underneath is are the more vulnerable yeah. feelings. Although, and I've seen men, you know, at, at grieving for an animal, I've seen the, the gamut, I've seen them almost laugh. They didn't, they couldn't necessarily cry. Although I have seen men that sure. are really in tune to that yep. and, and cried and sobbed when their animal and their wives were, I think what happened for them is their husbands were so upset that the wives stepped back and and was more more supportive of that. Um, not that they didn't feel it, but they because their husband was so distraught, you know. Um, so I've seen the gamut, but but what it goes back to is when you have an a, a, a uh, emotion that doesn't really fit what's going on. I mean that they don't know how to do that. That they don't know how, or they they've never been taught, or it's too difficult for them to cry, to sob, to yeah. be. I mean that prohibition, big boys don't cry, yeah. is really deep. I mean that's really deep in many, many, many of us. And I I, I remember confronting that in myself and realizing that that was that that was something that I wanted to get rid of, but it's still hard. It's like, you know, we get, we get into these patterns of living that are very hard to transform. And so another thing I think is just very important to note is that it's not right or wrong. Right. It's, it, it, it may turn out to be in individual circumstances, less healthy or more healthy the way we grieve, because if you're using some of those negative coping strategies, or if you're if you're so out of touch that you're you're starting to get migraines, or you've got cardiac problems, or you've got some other kind of physiological expression of your stress, that's of course unhealthy. So again, it's I mean we've got to walk a careful line because yeah, we don't want to say unique. we don't really want to hear from men saying you're male bashing. You know we're no. not doing that. We're talking about gendered patterns exactly. that are that are sometimes troublesome well there's another pattern too that i think is interesting and this is this transcends grieving is that um my sense is is a lot of men want to try to fix something so if, oh, yeah. so if there's yeah. something wrong what they want to do is problem solve so that's, you know, this is what we need to do. This is how yep. we're going to do it. It's got to be concrete, you know, pragmatic. When women, they always come to, not always, some women come to me and they will say, all I want to be is heard. Yep. I don't want it fixed. Yep. I just want someone to be there and listen. So yep. there's that dynamic that's a little bit uh, different. Yeah, and, it, and that can be 
a source of tension too. Yes. In a heterosexual couple, he might be saying, let's go out and, and go for a walk or let's look at the pet finder and think about what new pet, because we, we do, again, broad strokes doesn't apply to everybody, but we do tend to feel like I'm not going to just sit with this feeling. I'm going to do something to make myself and make my beloved feel better when she or he, if it's a same-sex relationship and they're, they're, the way they manage their grief is very different, they may feel very much like, I just need you to be present. Right. I just need I just, you to listen to me. Yeah. I just need you to be a compassionate other and not try to do anything to remove the way I'm feeling right now, but just bear witness in a way that feels connected. And that's, that can be a real challenge. And, and I feel that way myself. Like I have to sort of, I have to sort of in my personal life, I have to sort of quell that because I tend to be sort of hyper and I tend to want to fix things. It's, it's interesting because in my professional role, I'm very able to be yeah, to present listen. and listening yeah, right. and whatnot. But in my life, which is often the case, we're kind of different in our, in our personal realms. I'm like, okay, just, you know, let's, let's make it happen. Let's, yeah, let's get going. Let's forward. <laughs> but this gets, this is where couples in grieving can right. have some real issues. Um, some, you, you have talked about that. I, you know, I think when you had a death, you were really upset for a couple of days and then that was it. Right. But yeah. you, um, reacted differently to that. Yeah. We, we, we can be different. And, Again, it's important not to judge, right? But to be respectful of both ways of being. Of how how we we grieve, and and also grieve. to understand that if you're a man and you're feeling this tension, this sort of gut wrenching pain inside, it may be very helpful for you to try to put that into words, even if it's difficult. It, or to write it out, or to just talk with somebody, or to just allow yourself to cry. And that, again, is a, the way I think about that, that's a human skill that we, many men have been denied and have denied ourselves. And it's a good thing to develop the skills of being expressive on balance for most people. Again, there are some people who might feel like, that's just not me. I'm not going to do that. That's that's fine as well. But something to think about as a possibility for being helpful at particularly challenging times of loss. You know, it was interesting. I don't know if you experienced this, but over the 30 years, I had one group of three men. And there were no women. And it was so supportive for them mm -hmm. to be able to talk about being a man and what they were supposed to feel like and what they really were feeling like. And, and then they were having a hard time expressing and all of these things that were, it was very oriented to the male experience. Um, yeah, that's great. You know, one of the things that, another thing that the traditional code is very, wary of tells men don't be anything like a gay man 
Like, don't be, don't, don't be overly connected to other men. And, and so it's often hard for men to be, to be emotionally open and present with each other. Now that's changing yes. to the extent that men are rebelling against that heterosexual men, gay men are rebelling against that. But I mean, how often is it the case? Like when I'm at the gym, the only thing that other guys are talking about is sports. Yeah. Like what's right. going on in various teams. It's like this ritual as if connection where they're not really talking about anything. They're just kind of bantering back and forth in a way that is about something totally removed from their real lives. And the, the way that I always interpret that is that's just a way of acknowledging one another at a very surface level. But when you talk about that a group where there's three men who can actually be yeah, open and vulnerable, I mean, sometimes when men do that, when we do that, we feel like this, this extraordinary relief, this extraordinary sense of what have I been denying myself? What have I been missing? Nothing bad is going to happen if I simply reveal my vulnerable interior which we know is there in each of us. Like every person has vulnerability, has vulnerable feelings at times. That's part of being a human being. You know, it's interesting as you're talking to, I'm thinking about going back to women who are always mostly more emotional with their grieving and not all of them. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if something's going on with them, so they're having an issue with a family member or their, their marriage is not great. And they're not saying that in the, in the, in, in necessarily in the group. I'm not going from that. But just in general, if something else is going on with them, if they already have depression. Now, this could happen for men, too. But I think for women, it gets so uh, it, it, it magnifies a lot. The grief will magnify those things which can be more problematic for them. Well, the, the grief is so integrated with everything else about who you are right. and what's going on in your life. So as you were talking, I'm thinking, well, depending on what other stressors are exactly. present at the time that you've had the loss, you're going to be greater or lesser ready to deal with this additional profound stress of grief. And so, yeah, if you're battling a significant mental health or physical, you know, there, those things are really just, they're words, they're not reality. If you're, if you're battling a health condition, depression or, mm -hmm. or some kind of physiological condition like diabetes or skeletal muscle, muscular condition or an anxiety disorder, any one of those things, you're, you're going to be less resourced yes. when the next stressor hits. And if yeah, you've got a relationship yeah. conflict, if you've right. got a financial, you've got financial pressure. So stress, I mean, we could talk at length and maybe we'll bring this into another, another session, another episode about the many different strands of, of, environmental and identity aspects that shape the grief of any individual and any human system, a couple. Right. And so even things like your, your ethnic background, mm -hmm. your spirituality, all right. of these things feed in and they weave through 
gender. They right. weave through the, the way that you, so for example, and I, I often use this, if you come from an Italian family as I do, and you're male, you may be more used to being open. You may or may not, depending on the particulars of your family and your, 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 your upbringing, but it's possible that you might be a bit more expressive than a man who grew up in a family that is of English or Nordic yeah. background, right? Yeah. Because there's, there's certain patterns that are potentially present that have come to you through the generations. And so all of these things can be, and then you have two people together in a couple or a family. And it a can lot of, a lot to consider. And, and also just family norms, you know, that yeah. are handed down. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be ethnicity or culture, but handed down generation to generation to generation. We don't talk about those things or we don't yep. deal with those things. Yep. Um, and I'm thinking now as we're talking too, is I feel for young people who are maybe teenagers and we've, we've seen this before that parents will call very concerned, you know, he lost his dog and he's not talking. Mm-hmm. And he's not talking to any of us. And we don't know what to do with that. You know, so he in his and wherever he is, um, that person is afraid to really talk about what's going on or to express himself. And it could be, a, a, you know, a young woman, too. But, mm-hmm. you know, that would that's, you know, upsetting in some ways, because we know as adults that it's important for them to express themselves, to get something out, to be able to, you know, to let go of some of those feelings and not have them pent up. And, and it's, it could be complicated because maybe they're not ready quite yet. Right. Or maybe their parents are looming over them and you know, it's sort of yeah. like watching their every move and they feel like, I don't want to talk to my parents. Maybe they're talking to a friend about it, but not hope. so much to their parents. So, I mean, sometimes parents create this kind of pressure that can help to close down a young person. And so, particularly a teenager or somebody who's moving towards later adolescence. And so it it can be very complicated. And one of of the things that, that I always think about is just because a person isn't obvious to you, it isn't obvious to you that they're processing their grief in a healthy way, they may yet be doing it in their own health. In their way. own way, right? And and so we can't be judgmental. And so, but one of, one of the things we do know is that it's helpful for parents to be a role model and to allow themselves to be authentic and to speak about their own reactions and talk about how they're managing it, and and that way it gives permission to a child to do the same, to follow their own authentic response. And that, that means if you cry, it's okay. Yeah. You know, you, you can't protect them. You want to protect them, but you can't protect them. You can't protect a young person from loss. Loss right. is something that is simply absolutely elemental to the human experience. We are going to, we have faced many losses. We will face many more, large and small. And and that's why it's a good idea to take a look at your own ability 
to, to manage it. change and loss because it's not, it's never going to go away. I mean, we are, we will always be facing changes. And if we want to hide away from, from loss, we will be hiding away from life. Yes. It's important. I mean, even when as kids, you remember your, your parents, maybe a little bird died and, you know, you go out and you and you show your kids or they're, they're small and you talk a little bit about it and then you maybe bury them. You know, I mean, that's those are the things that that kids remember. It gives them tools on how to and, and, and acknowledgement that they can feel bad for something or they can have that kind of feeling of sadness, you know. And so, and so when it, when it becomes closer, you know, a grandparent or, you know, a, a beloved pet or, you know, somebody else that they're very close to that, you know, if the parents can be that role model and be able to grieve um, outwardly, you know, meaning, you know, openly, um, then the kids will, will be able to, to understand that better and be able to be, have more relief in how they, and, and be okay with what they're, what they're saying. Yeah, and, and, and I 100% agree. And it, I think that it's important for parents and really all of us to know that everything that happens in life is a learning experience. At least it's the opportunity for a learning experience. Mm -hmm. And loss is no exception. Mm -hmm. So we're constantly learning from what life throws at us. And if we can address the things that life throws at us with flexibility, with openness, mm -hmm. with, with caring, with caring, with sincerity, with authenticity, all of life will be a learning experience. I mean, lifelong learning is, I think, one of the joys of, of being alive. Nice. And, and so hopefully that's something that we pass on to our, to our kids. And we don't, we don't want to teach our kids that there are aspects of life that are unmanageable, that are unapproachable. Because we all have to put that one foot in front of the that other. That are unspeakable, oh, yeah. So I guess we should we should wrap up and maybe we'll talk more about other environmental and family things that that tend to set us up one way or another for how we manage grief. But uh, I think the gender is a is a very important one, and and again, I want to stress that that talking about the ways that we as boys and men have been taught the meaning of masculinity. Mm -hmm. That's not me saying men are bad or <laughs> men are inadequate people. No, not at all. It's saying we as men can look at that stuff and decide to what extent we want to comply mm -hmm. and to what extent we want to maybe do things differently and maybe allow us to have a much fuller, expansive Period. range of feelings and other aspects of the human experience as well. So and, and that goes with there and women you, too, though. Women, women are taught, you yeah. know, is okay, but anger isn't. Yeah, so, you know, so it's okay for women to be angry. Absolutely. It's anger is a normal feeling and anger gives us clarity and energy and focus. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I would say is, is as long as you're civil, we can be very That's angry right. and very civil. 
you have and that's that's all like that's the way i think about it. you can you can have any feeling you want you can express it in words in any way you want using whatever kind of vocabulary you want as long as you're civil and not menacing and threatening to others because we exactly. all deserve to always feel safe and respected and all of those good things so <laughs> Great talking with you, Nancy. I look forward to next week as always. Okay. Take care, everyone.